Okay. Well, it's a couple of minutes after six. I think we should start. Hopefully we have uh, enough time to get all our thoughts and questions and ideas in. Um, let me start by welcoming everybody to the second program. Um, this is sponsored by Interfaith Action. Um, it's a virtual series on the situation in Gaza. So last week we listened to an overview of what's happening in Gaza right now. Our guest was David Dunkey. And next week our guest is going to be Lara Friedman. Um, she's the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Um, my name is Naveen Khalil and I'm um, on the leadership team with um, Interfaith Action. I'm the advisor for Interfaith Collaboration and Action. Um, I would like to uh, um, welcome Rumana Hussain. She is our speaker today. She is um, an editorial board member and columnist at the um, Chicago Sun-Times. And she will be talking to us about the media coverage of the war in Gaza in the US, at least. Um, she will also give us some insight into her experience over the past month in the newsroom, where decisions are being taken about what stories to cover and how to cover them. Um, and um, basically, since the bombing started about a month ago, um, I'd like to encourage the audience to to ask questions after she's done speaking. You can also type your questions or just speak into the mic, raise your hand and Larry and Sid will be able to help me with that. Um, but meanwhile, if everyone could mute their um, microphones, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, so I'd like to begin, well, first I'd like to draw your attention to the upcoming events page has um, several resources if anybody's interested to go in and sort of read up more and watch a little more about what's going on right now. And um, But otherwise, I think uh, we could start. I'd like to begin by playing um, um, just a short video about some of the um, footage we've been seeing from Gaza. There's nothing graphic, although they're very poignant. And um, this may or may not be something you've actually seen in the media here, but the rest of the world, definitely in the Middle East, is, is covering um, a lot of what's actually happening. So I will share screen now. And... In Gaza, for the past two days, we were in absolute absolute isolation not only from the outside world but also from each other's in the same city no internet connection no line way or any mean of communication i'm currently at my parents house where my family and my in-laws family and so many other relatives seek refuge um, over 55 people the only way for us to get some bits and pieces of news was by gathering around my mother's-in-law old radio, anticipating any news of de-escalation or ceasefire. The situation in Gaza has become 
absolutely inhumane and unbearable by all international standards. The population of Gaza is in immense need for humanitarian support, including clean drinkable water, food and fuel or electricity to run hospitals that already suffer from shortage, severe shortage of medical supplies. Gaza people and the children of Gaza needs protection. Um, and for sure tons and tons of psychosocial and mental support. As a humanitarian worker, I feel absolutely helpless as I cannot provide my kids with the basic needs of life, let alone the children of Gaza. This is an avalanche of human suffering that's 100% man-made. It is the, the worst humanitarian catastrophe I've experienced in my lifetime and in my growingly long career in humanitarian medicine. And it's burning through the hearts of every single humanitarian that I know. You know, I'm gonna paint a picture for you of the degree of suffering that we're seeing. People keep asking me about medical aid and hospitals and the situation of the hospitals. The entire hospital healthcare system collapsed almost a week ago. It was announced on TV for the whole world to see. And in that week, there has been indiscriminate bombardment. And I, I don't even know if indiscriminate is the right term because it's targeting healthcare facilities, ambulances, churches, mosques, schools, refugee camps, densely populated refugee camps, wiping out entire families in a second, entire multi-generational extended families in a second. There are almost 1,000 families in the Gaza Strip who have had at least two members of their family, at least two members killed in the last three weeks. There are almost 4,000 children who have been killed and identified, excluding almost 1,000 children whose bodies are still trapped under the rubble. Some of them may be alive for a long period before they ultimately die under the rubble. And I'm sorry if there are any young you know, children watching this, perhaps this is a, a good time to ask them to leave the room, but I think it's important that I paint a picture, particularly when I'm following a news narrative that almost dismisses this avalanche of, of suffering that that is, unprecedented in modern times. You know, there's an acronym in the in the Gaza Strip right now. You know, I, I'm a pediatric intensive care doctor. I see a lot of suffering in my career. There's an acronym that is unique to the Gaza Strip, and it's called, it's WCNSF, Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. Children, and it is used not infrequently in the last three weeks. It was coined in the last three, three weeks. One physician told me two days ago that, or a few days ago, that a little uh, girl came in wounded and she had a piece of paper in her pocket that she handed to him. He sent me a picture of the piece of paper. It had 27 names on it. And she said, these are the members of my family that were with me in my home. Please look for them. Please look for them under the rubble. Don't look for this one. And she points to the name of her sister. I know she's already dead. This is a 10 year old little girl. Wounded child, no surviving family should not exist as an acronym. Okay, um, these videos are in the, the links to them are in the resources section as well, if you'd like to visit 
afterwards. Um, I will um, open the floor to Romana to please uh, tell us about what's been happening in the newsroom for a month. First of all, I just want to say um, hello to everybody and thank you for uh, taking time in your evening to spend uh, discussing this topic with me. Um, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit about my background. I'm not uh, Middle Eastern or Palestinian, but I am Muslim and um, I was born and raised in Chicago. And I've been a journalist for um, since the mid 90s. And um, you know, I was around when 9-11 happened and a lot of Muslims um, and Arabs. And first of all, I want to say that um, most Palestinians are Muslims, but there's a large population that's also Christian. But a lot of times Palestinians get conflated with Muslims um, in a lot of the dialogue that we're seeing in the press or just in general, um, from what um, you probably have known. So there are members of um the um, Palestinian community in my mosque and in other Chicago area mosques as well. Um, and I also grew up in a neighborhood that was um, predominantly Jewish when I was growing up. So I do have a lot of Jewish um, friends and colleagues as well. So I know this is a very emotional and touchy subject, but I can talk from my perspective as a Muslim American journalist and just watching the coverage of um, this situation in the Middle East right now. Um, so after 9-11, um, one of the things that a lot of Muslims um, and Arabs had noticed is that a lot of people are talking about us without actually having us as part of the conversation. And um, we've been otherized for a very, very long time. We don't get tr the same treatment um, as other victims get. Um, and I'm not saying that um, what happened on October 7th was terrible. And I think that the stories that we have about the hostages, um, I have to tell you that in Chicago, the first two um, hostages that were released um, back are from Evanston, Illinois, which is the suburb um, right outside of Chicago. I, I, I grew up like 10 minutes away from there, Judith Renan and Natalie Renan. So obviously those stories that touch the, the Jewish community, um, people who have family in Israel, that's very, very understandable. And so maybe like a couple of days after, like maybe just like a day after the October 7th attack, uh, we obviously had a lot of stories about how the Jewish community is feeling and if they have family members overseas, which is legitimate. But at the same time, um, you know, Chicago, the Chicago area, um, there's a, a suburb in the southwest side here called um, Bridgeview, and it probably has the largest um, population of Palestinians outside of the occupied territories in the Middle East. And so, um, you know, we barely saw any stories about, um, you know, at this point, Israel had started retaliating. I did not see any stories from my news organizations or any news organization, organizations talking to Palestinian Americans about how they were feeling and how they, you know, had been dealing with losses as well. And it turns out just a week after the October 7th attack, there was a six-year-old boy who was murdered in a suburb in, in the Chicago area. The six-year-old boy was basically stabbed um, by his landlord, his, allegedly stabbed by his landlord, 71-year-old landlord. The little boy um, 
was basically seen as a threat to this man, according to prosecutors. Um, the man had heard about, you know, he had been listening to conservative radio, and that is what prosecutors are saying set him off. And they said that he had heard about this day of jihad that Muslims were going to carry out, that the Palestinians were going to carry out. And he had gotten along fine with the family. But it was after he heard these radio reports that he went and he attacked the little boy. And, you know, he told the mom, you know, he mentioned to the mom while he was carrying out his attack that he was upset about what was happening in the Middle East, according to prosecutors. And the mother said, um, you know, give peace a chance. But he ended up stabbing the boy um, 26 times, according to authorities. And the mother, he stabbed as well. Um, Muslim funerals are usually held a day after someone was killed. So because the mother was um, hospitalized, she did not attend her son's funeral. So that was a very, very tragic accident, you know, not accident, uh, murder that happened right after these attacks. And a lot of people in the Palestinian and the Muslim community feel like it's because of the dehumanization of Palestinians, the treatment of, Pal you know, the, the way that our government officials talk about Palestinians. And again, nobody's saying what happened on October 7th is acceptable, but um, the there's, there's a deafening silence about the victims on, you know, the Palestinian side. And to talk to people who, there are Americans who are stuck in Gaza right now. And, uh, you know, we even hear from our president, um, you know, he just recently started talking about how he's going to try to get Americans out of Gaza. But in the beginning, it was it there was no sort of discussion about this. I, I think in the first address that President Biden gave after following the October um, 7th attack, he did not mention any Palestinian suffering at all. And to act as if there isn't, you know, like no matter how you feel about it, there have been over 10,000 Palestinians who have been killed since the October 7th attack. And today, President Biden had said that there was no way that there was going to be ceasefire anytime soon, or at least not today, he said. Um, he's actually in Chicago. And um, I have to tell you that he was interrupted by a pro-Palestinian um, um, protester at in, in the Chicago area. So that was just some of the that was just some of the feelings that we had in the newsroom and me um and there's a reporter who's um of lebanese descent and we have a, we are affiliated with the radio station and there's a palestinian um american producer there and you know we had mentioned we talked to our you know bosses and our higher ups and said that you know there needs to be you know there we told them or like you do know there are a lot of palestinian americans in the chicago area correct and you know we've been we've been kind of like basically talking to um which is a good thing we're talking to our management and jeans pointing things out that we think are either unfair or the way they're presented um can be sometimes skewed a different a certain way and i'll give you some examples of that but um you know we we had to tell our you know news desk about um uh, one family who had lost over 30 members in 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 the israeli um retaliation attacks and you know we were able to get a story on it so it's a lot of extra work that we're doing and it shouldn't be because um you know people should know that um you know palestinians can be americans too that muslims are americans too that they are affected by this um you know what happened and so um it's a lot of just talking 
and uh, telling people, pointing things out. I have to mention, there are a couple of things that I had to point out specifically. There was a columnist who had talked about um, what's happening right now in the Middle East. And he had a picture that accompanied his column. And the column basically was a picture of pro-Palestinian um, protesters in Munich, Germany. And the first part of the caption said, here are rally rally goers who supported the Ham October 7th Hamas attack. And then the second part of the caption said, um, rallies like this have been held all around the world, including Chicago. When I saw that, I um, immediately told our top editor, I said that this is misleading because it's acting as if anybody who's pro-Palestinian is automatically a supporter of what happened on October 7th. And uh, she did change the um, caption and we ended up um, putting out some sort of clarification. And I told her, I said, I don't know what what motivations um, anybody who was pro, you know, this specific protester had, but I can tell you that a lot of people who are protesting um, what's happening have been protesting against, you know, innocent civilians being killed and the treatment of Palestinians for for generations. So I pointed that out to her and it was interesting because she told me, well, you know, the first part of the caption actually came from the photographer who took this picture in Germany. And what a lot of people don't understand is because of uh, what Germany did um, with the Holocaust is that Germ Germ German Germany does not allow um, any sort of um, protests against uh Israel in in Germany anymore. And so I don't know if the photographer just automatically, you know, just had assumed that. And so I told her that could be the case, but I go we shouldn't be putting out that anybody who's, you know, the people who've been attending rallies and there've been a lot of rallies in the Chicago area since October 7th, um, you know, in support of the Palestinians that they shouldn't necessarily be saying that they're pro Hamas. And I think a lot of the language, I know there's and I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, discussion and debate that can be had. But I said, I just think that's I, I believe that's misleading, because I'm sure if you talk to people who are protesters, and I think the next protest that we had, I told them, why don't you actually ask the protesters? And relating to that, so we had another story where um, a group of people who are pro, you know, they're pro Palestinian protesters, it was a 400 word story. And 250 of the words, um, the one of the reporters that we've been watching some of this, the language that's been used, he he counted, he's like, basically 240 of the words was commentary from a man who was pro-Israeli. And he basically was saying what the, uh, the, pro the protesters were meaning when they were out on the streets, um, you know, basically in support of Palestinians. He said, he basically said that these um, the pro-Palestinian protesters are celebrating the deaths of Palestinians and Israelis. And um, this reporter had pointed out, he talked to our editor and said that this is also wrong because why do we have someone who's not part of this protest describing what these protesters are doing and what they're exactly, you know, what they're out there actually saying. I mean, unless you talk to someone, I mean, you don't go to a Black Lives you know, Matters um, rally and then talk to someone else who wasn't even there and say, well, this is what they're saying, you know? So, um, you know, it's, it's things like that. And, you know, we have had some pretty, you know, robust discussions and I think the discussions will continue. 
um, I, I, you know, I have to say, like, it feels like 9-11 again, the way, um, the way our government officials are talking. We just had Rashida Tlaib censored yesterday. And uh, I mean, maybe two days ago. And just just the discussions that people are having, um, a lot of people feel like, um, you know, it's 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 like deja vu again. Uh, there, it's like Palestinians aren't given the same voice. They're not, you know, they're what you know, right after the October seventh attack. There were some Palestinians who were coming on air. This I didn't see this in the new, you know, in the print. But there were a lot of people who were coming and talking to. Um, people about um, what happened. There were some Palestinians who had lost some family members in in Israel's retaliation. And a lot of these, um, you know, American TV hosts, they like the second question they ask is, do you condemn what Hamas did on October 7th? Now, why do people like this happened to us after 9-11? Like everybody wanted, it's like something happened, like, in like three, like, you know, overseas and people would ask me if I condemn like an attack that happened like overseas that had nothing to do with me. And so, you know, I, I think that it's sad that people have to prove that they're human or what they're saying is, you know, authentic, that they don't approve of this violence, because I don't see that happening to anybody who is, you know, support, you know, is a is, is a supporter of Israel. I don't hear them saying, do you support the bombing of civilians? Maybe they are, but, you know, by protesters, I mean, that could be possible. But I don't see that happening them when they're coming on news. I don't hear the talking heads asking them that. So a lot of people are feeling that, um, you know, in newsrooms and a lot of reporters who are either Muslim and or Arab, um, you know, we've all been kind of chatting about the things that we've had to um, deal with in the last few weeks. And it's something, like I said, I, I think it's important to have these, these, these discussions because what's happening in the Middle East um, is, 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 is devastating. And I think the discussions need to be had. And this isn't something that's going to be going away anytime soon. And um, I have to tell you that, um, you know, there are like there is this feeling that if we weren't in the newsroom, like some of this stuff, it wasn't going to get covered. Um, we just had um, I'm trying to encourage like I wrote about um, after the first week, I did write about my opinion about the situation and how I feel. Um, and just this week tomorrow, or we had it online already, but I am trying to encourage more Palestinian uh, voices in the um, op-ed section. Um, I had asked um, a, a friend of mine from WBZ, that's a radio station that we're affiliated with, uh, she had gotten a Palestinian educator and she wrote a column and that's going to appear in the paper tomorrow. We also... Um, there is an education story about a Muslim girls' school. Um, they're talking about how they're feeling. And so um, I think it helps to have people like me in the newsroom or, or Arabs in the newsroom. I think it just adds to the voices. And again, I'm not saying that we don't have to hear. We have to hear from the Jewish community, too. It just We just need to make sure that everybody's voices are being heard and that people recognize that Palestinians can be Americans too, that Muslims can be American too. And we don't have to otherize, you know, people that are like us. So 
I think that's just been a really big frustration in what we're trying to get and get our voices out there. Um, one of the resources that we're um, a lot of people like me and uh, my colleagues who are Arab or uh, Muslim are asking that we look at this Arab and Middle Eastern Journalists Association guide about what is happening in the Middle East. Um, one of the things that um, people say is that Hamas, you know, just it was an unprovoked attack. And yes, this is what started the retaliation. But a lot of the stories that we're seeing are missing the context. I think a lot of people don't realize that, um, you know, the Palestinians are treated a lot differently than an Israeli citizen is in that in that region. Um, you know, one of the other things that we're noticing is that the way um, the death, you know, the people who died have been treated. Um, I know David Dumke had spoken last week, and I think this is tr true about how people in my communities feel. It's like the victims who aren't Muslim or aren't Palestinians are humanized. They're you know they're killed. And when it comes to um, the Palestinians, they're kind of like faceless, you know, people, people who don't have lives. And I'm seeing on social media, people are sharing, you know, who a lot of these victims are. There's obviously more than 10,000 people. There's also been 35 journalists who have been killed um, and 20, I think over two dozen um, UN workers so far. I think, um, in, and also as part of this Amija um, guidelines, it says that you know, when people are killed, say that they're killed. You don't say that they're dead. So a lot of people say that there's usually the passive voice when it comes to um, Palestinians. And one another thing that we also think is important to double check sources, um, whether that means Israeli officials or Palestinian officials. Um, you know, we had Joe Biden um, come on the news a couple of days ago or during, like, I think it was a press conference a few days ago. And he said that he didn't trust the uh, number of the number of victims that the Palestinians were giving, and meanwhile, um, it's not that other that our governments don't lie. Israel could have some like mis could be misspeaking too. And if you've been paying attention to um, the Twitter accounts of some Israeli um, officials, they're not necessarily being professional about it. They just said they just one of them just equated the journalists with the terror with terrorists. Um, just to, like I think it was today. Um, and so it's, you know, it's because of our relationship with Israel and the way that Palestinians have been talked about for years and years and years is that, you know, you have kind of like this lopsided way that we're covering things. Like I said, it's it's a lot better than it was, I would say, 15, 20 years ago, but it, it isn't what it should be. And so these conversations are still going. Um, I have to tell you that The Onion, I don't know if any of you guys read The Onion. Um, the Onion has been doing a very, very good job about, um, and I don't, I don't, and I have to tell you, I don't think anybody um, Middle Eastern or Muslim works at the Onion. They're actually based in Chicago, and so their headlines have been really, really good about um, the way the media in America covers um, covers the Middle East and is covering the situation right now. Um, they just had something a few days ago about how new the New York Times invents entirely new numerical systems to avoid reporting Gazan death toll. They had that headline a couple of days ago. Um, the first one that they came one of the first ones they came up with that was the onion stands with israel because it seems like you can get in less trouble for that um and then they had something about um they had a like a primer about what's 
what to know about what's happening in Israel and Gaza. And the one of the first questions was, how has the media approached the conflict? And they said swift and irresponsibly. And it said, how many people have died? That was this other question. And said, that depends on whether you count Palestinian deaths as well. So, you know, you have, you know, satirical um, organizations, news organizations also critiquing the way that we cover um the situation in the Middle East and the way we cover um, Israeli victims and Palestinian victims. And like I said, I am working at a paper in Chicago, um, Chicago Sun-Times. So we're we're more of a, you know, a local paper. We cover, um, you know, we cover issues obviously that happen overseas, but how they impact people living in, in our, in, in the city and in the suburbs. And so we do use wire copy. Um, we use the Associated Press about the general, um, general situation, the day to day. But so we do our stories about are about how the, our community is affected. And we just need my whole thing is we just need more and more Palestinian voices. And again, we can't pretend that there's not Palestinians living in Chicago when we have one of the biggest populations of Palestinians in the United States. And so that's something that um, I just think that it's very important to talk to Palestinians. And and that, like I said, that doesn't mean you don't talk to, you know, the Jewish community or the Israeli community, you talk to them too. But I'm just saying that in, in the coverage, we just have to make sure that we're covering this appropriately and doing a sufficient job. And I don't think we are. And you can talk to like anybody in in the media um who is muslim or and or middle eastern and we kind of feel the same way and it's like i said it's a dialogue that we're having um and i have a pretty good relationship with most of my bosses i don't agree with them i don't see eye to eye with them on a lot of things and not just this topic but you know we agreed that we're going to continue to talk about it um one of the things is language um i know that's a very sensitive topic right now um, it in our affiliate um, radio station, uh, we had a genocide expert talking about um, uh, a, a genocide in Gaza, and we had a couple listeners that were upset by that use of the word. And so that caused some um, discussion. Um, I was invited to um, uh, I was invited to a discussion about the words that we're using and how we're using it. And um, one of the younger reporters had mentioned that he doesn't like the term is the Israel um, Hamas war because he said that it basically doesn't include that there's Palestinians dying. And right now that's that's what Associated Press uses. And so we're 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 still trying to talk about language. And and I know that's something that's, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the language and about the slogans that, you know, certain um protesters are using. So I think as long as we keep the conversation going, I just want to keep it productive. And I just I just um, you know, I've, it's been exhausting the last couple of weeks because I just want to make sure that the Palestinian voices, that people who are doing things in the community don't get lost. And that's just something that I'm I've I've kind of like kept in the back of my mind. And I have been asked for, you know, by report other reporters, by my colleagues to look over stories, the Washington DC reporter um, two days ago had asked me to look over her a uh, column that she wrote about when Biden, um, Joe Biden, and you know, initiated his Islamophobic um, strategy, Islamophobia strategy. So I looked at that and I said, "Yeah, I'll take a look at it." Um, and so it's something that um, you know we just have to keep in mind and just continue and just have the dialogue. And it's been it's been frustrating and it's been exhausting, but you know, 
you know, I personally hope the conflict or, or whatever is happening, the, you know, the siege in Gaza, like, ends soon. But I don't think it, you know, this is something that we're probably going to be talking about for a few more weeks. So I'm sure I'm going to be more exhausted and explaining and talking a little bit more in the future as well. Thank you, Romana. That was very insightful. I truly appreciate your perspective on all of this. Um, it's interesting you brought up the point of the language and the lexicon being used now. Um, there's a lot of new words being used um, over the past month, whether to describe the Palestinians or what Israel is doing. Actually, our fourth program, which we will post um, soon, is going to be discussing the this lexicon that is now being introduced into the narrative. So um, um, I hope many of you will be able to join us for that. Um, I think we have uh, some time now to take questions. I will begin though with um, Larry Feldman. He's a co-moderator with us um, for the Interfaith series and he's from the Jewish community and we would love to either hear a question or a comment from you, Larry. Thank you. Um, thank you, Naveen, and thank you, Romana. Um, I will share that um, I have a, a very different um, experience um, of what's been happening in the media. Every day uh, when I go online uh, to see the news about uh, the Middle East, what uh, I, the only thing I've been hearing for many weeks now is about people being killed in Gaza and, and specific, more specifically, Palestinians, civilian Palestinians being killed in Gaza. Uh, that, that seems to me to be the predominant um, coverage by a wide margin. And, and certainly it should be covered. Um, what's happening in Gaza is terrible. And I don't like that this is how the Israeli government is responding to the horrible circumstances of October 7th. But how quickly the media stopped talking about October 7th when Naveen, and uh, maybe this was supposed to be the way that you introduced tonight, but you said we're going to be talking about what's happening in Gaza. I thought we were going to be talking about what's happening in Gaza and in Israel. Israel was attacked. Thousands of people were killed. Israel is still being attacked. Rockets are still being fired into Israel. Terrible things are happening to both Palestinians and Israelis. And I think we need to be cognizant of that and focus on all of the things that are going on. So that would be my request of all of us to stay focused on all of the things that are going on and then try uh, as much as we possibly can. And I know this is going to be happening later in our series, although I wish it could be happening sooner. Um, unfortunately, so often when we do series about any issue, we spend so much of our time talking about the problem. And then at the last minute, we have a little bit of discussion about the solutions. I would like there to be more discussion of 
how to end this and then how to prevent a recurrence, how to move forward in a way where Palestinians and Jews can live together in peace in that troubled area. Of course, yes, Larry. I um, just to clarify, the reason that I didn't mention what happened in Israel is because we're a month into this, and we're talking about the media coverage here. So, what has how it has, has been covered, and I think Romana covered that well. So, the intention wasn't to exclude what had happened. It was just the topic today is well, how much good media or balanced media are we getting here? Yeah, and I, I have to, um, you know, stress, I do think that we have to talk about, you know, what's happening in Israel too. And um, un unfortunately, I guess what's happening, you know, we are talking about the deaths now because the numbers have gone up. Um, I, last time I checked, um, it was 1,400. And I know obviously there's like over 200 hostages. And that's what, you know, you know, the hostages need to be released. Um, I know people have been asking for a ceasefire. I don't know how this is going to end. But yes, I, I do think that all communities and I like I said, I'm speaking as someone who is Muslim. This is from my community's perspective. And I'm not saying that there are not there aren't complaints from the Jewish American community or anybody who is pro-Israel. Like I was gonna say that we actually a couple of days ago we had a caption um and it was a picture and it said that there were these are hostages that were allegedly taken by Hamas. And we had a couple of readers complain about that. And I think it's good. Like you have to have that dialogue. And that's what I'm saying. Like we have the dialogue, but at least from my end in Chicago, we have a large Palestinian community. And in the beginning, they were not focused on when uh, the, you know, when they were, and we did talk about um, what happened, the hostages, um, we actually, um, you know, like I said, one of the, the two women, the teenager and her mother were from Evanston. And so we had coverage about the locals that were affected by this. So I'm not saying that, you know, we don't, we, we aren't supposed to be ignoring what happened on October 7th. Nobody should. I'm just telling you from my perspective and from our coverage to what I've seen in Chicago and what people are talking about. And I'm like, I'm sure, I'm sure the, you know, there are people like, you know, from the Jewish, like literally you're saying from the Jewish community, I'm sure your perspective can be a little different, but that's the perspective that I've had from my lens. I, I understand. And part of what we are trying to accomplish here is to hear from many different perspectives. Um, and so I'd be interested if other people have comments or questions that you want to share. Uh, Sid, would you like to uh, make a comment or a question? Sid is my colleague at um, Interfaith Action and also a co-moderator in this series. Uh, just that I, I think our the original statement that was uh, issued by Interfaith Action uh, several days uh, after uh, October 7th were that we were calling on the application of international humanitarian law as well as adherence to uh, the Geneva Conventions uh, on war. Uh, that these should equally be applied 
uh, both uh, to Israel as well as uh, to Gaza. And uh, I think we continue to say that uh, these standards of, of law, of basic humanitarian treatment, uh, need to be applied uh, equally, and that uh, these laws really are connected to the multiple faith traditions uh, that comprise uh, the rich uh, faith diversity here in Southwest Michigan. Thank you. Um, I think uh, Sifil Melech would like to go next. And let me begin by saying I truly appreciate that Egyptian flag behind you. I have one at my house as well. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Nimina. I recognized the flag last uh, last session and uh, it made me happy as well to see it. So thank you so much, Nivian, for organizing this. And Romana, thank you for, for your insightful uh, uh, ideas that you have presented very clearly. And what first question comes into my mind, so I have two questions. The first one is, like, is it actively imposed on the media? Uh, is it like a systematic, systematically pushed forward in the media community? Or is it more of passive ignorance? And what, whatever, which one of them, how can we help or support in and shaping the media more to be more inclusive and more uh, presenting all the voices uh, without dehumanizing any voices or without putting moral checks or like by asking the question, oh, do you commit in Hamas? So that's my first question. The second question is, uh, I know you said that you're speaking from your background only as a, uh, like as a Mus uh, Muslim journalist, uh, but also there are the other voices that I noticed that they have been very marginalized recently, which is also the Jewish uh, Jewish uh, voices for peace or Jewish voices that are uh, pro-Palestinians. Um, yesterday, I have seen the movie of uh, Israelism, the documentary, and I had the luxury of meeting the, the director who was a pro-Palestinian Israeli. And uh, I had the question of like, yeah, why isn't why aren't more voices uh, from the Jewish community who are pro-Palestinians being featured in the media as well? So these are my two questions. And thank you so much. Thank you. Those are both really good questions. Um, I don't think in some cases, I mean, if you look at some media like on Fox News or there's definitely some columnists who think a certain way. I mean, that's deliberate um, in a general newsroom. I don't think it's deliberate. I just think it's passive ignorance about the way certain communities are presented or ignored. Um, I think newsrooms compared to like 15, 20 years ago, um, especially post George Floyd, um, there is a push to try to um, diverse, you know, our newsrooms are not diverse. They, they're trying to be more diverse. They're, they're definitely more diverse than they were like, um, even like five years ago, 10 years ago, because now there's a conscious effort to make sure you have diverse newsrooms and diverse voices. And um, one of the things that we talk about in the press is, uh, you know, we want to be objective. But, you know, even when we try to be objective, you do bring in who you are as, as a person and your experiences. And, you know, for the longest time, we just had a certain voice and, um, you know, Nine, after 9-11, we still had newsrooms that were very, um, very not diverse. And the way certain people were talked about, you know, for someone like me, 
I could tell automatically it was Islamophobic. I'm like, well, the word they're talking about certain things and certain Muslims, there's a lot of presumptions being made and a lot of things being said about my community. So I think it's a little different, but I do think a lot of it is ignorance and it can be exhausting for any journalists of color. Um, I know a lot of black journalists feel this way too about when it comes to their communities. I know a lot of um, Latino um, reporters feel this way too. They, you know, they feel like they have to do an over education and, you know, just to have people understand. So it's, it's, I have my job, I work as an editorial writer. So I write on behalf of the paper and I do a columnist. But on top of that, this, these last three or four weeks, I've been, you know, I've been asked to like reread things and, you know, ask for my commentary, ask if I know anybody who knows about this or that. And, you know, we should already have been connected to these communities and they should know where to go where I've told them like you know when anything happens involving you know a Muslim it's like they come to me and I'm like I already gave you this number like you know x amount of years ago and so yeah it's it's I think it's mostly ignorance and a mostly um I think this attitude um of where people still look at people like us as foreign and not American and that's one thing that I think you kind of have to stick into people's heads that we are American. And one of the, um, you know, you also brought up a good point um, about, you know, a lot of young Jewish Americans are protesting with a lot of pro-Palestinian marchers as well. And we have talked to them, but um, I think um, whenever you do have a pro-Palestinian, you know, rally, I think now reporters are so like worried about, oh, we have to talk to Palestinians, but a lot of their pro-Palestinian rallies are very diverse. And I think it's a good point to point that out. Um, we just had, there was a couple of rallies in DC, there was a couple of rallies in the country um, over the weekend in DC. Um, I don't think either my paper nor the Tribune, which is our major competitor, I don't think, you know, I'll, there's been so many protests, so we don't cover. So because it was a national story, there was more like national coverage, um, but those are pretty diverse crowds. And so I think it's like, we haven't really talked that much, but um that's one of the things it's it's it, it's interesting because the people you know who are quote unquote pro-palestinian it's 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 changing from what we've seen like five years ago even and so i think there's been some discussions i've you know there's a friend of mine who has a podcast and he had um a, a music critic who's is israeli and um he, i think he's a millennial and he had talked about his stance on the whole situation and he's very pro-Palestinians and so he had come on air and talked about it so there's things like that but I I, I think the discussion is kind, you know kind of being talked about but it's not being talked about as much as uh you would think I don't know if you guys um had seen but Kamala Harris's uh stepdaughter on her Instagram page did have a link to um you know uh an organization to help, you know, the Gazans. And so it's, it's just like, the, it, it's just changing the discussion. And I think that that needs to be, you know, shed light on that about how different people from different communities feel about it. I think that's a good, it's a good point. Okay. All right. All right. Well, um, we'll wrap it up here. Romana, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about the media coverage. And um, I'd like to thank everyone who joined us this evening um, as we come together and, and try and understand 
what is happening in the Middle East. Please join us next week, next Thursday, also at six o'clock. You will need to register for the next program. It is called The Right to Live. Our speaker is Lara Friedman, and um, she will be talking about displacement, settlements, um, right of return. So more rather than the hottest you know, topics that are happening right now, she's going to give us a little more perspective about what, what it looks like to be in Israel and occupied territories um, and living there. So please join us then. And um, just checking one more thing. Yes, the registration is right here in the chat. And it's also on our upcoming um, events page. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate seeing you all. Thank you.